This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday still. It sure June is. 18th, 2022. Did I get the day wrong? I feel like I got the day wrong. You got the day wrong. So, is it the 11th? It's the 11th. It's the 11th. Wow. I was so excited about the 18th because I tell you what. First off, every time I announce something, it immediately goes wrong. Every time. Every time. Like I announced that Rick Stump was coming on next week, and I was sure of it. We had everything set up. And then it turned out there was an emergency, and we had to make, you know, a uh, – a schedule, a date for the week after that. And then we're getting up to the week after that. And there's another emergency. We had to schedule for the week after that. But presuming that things don't go poorly, we're trying to get Jim Brayfogle on for next week, uh, which is the 18th, um, because he's got a Kickstarter for Mongoose and Meerkat 2 running right now through Crisova Publication, a good friend of ours. And then, and then, and this is where I'm getting really, really daring, knowing that every single time I mention what guest is coming on, on the air, the second we get off the air, it goes bad. And that literally happened last week. I will tell you about that real quick. Um, Alex McCris or McCreese from Adamant Entertainment uh, is currently scheduled to come on the show for the 25th, which would be in two weeks. So, you know, I'm thinking about the 18th, I'm thinking about the 25th, and uh, I wasn't even thinking about the 11th, because it's not like we have anybody important coming on. That's all right, I'll show myself out. That's why that's that's why we made this happen. That's why we had no problems because we didn't try to announce it. We just stealth invited John back on. Yes. But you know what happened last week, right? Where we announced what we were going to talk about this week? I and then my memory fails me. Oh, so like on the show, the show's closing and I'm like, "Yeah, so next week we're going to talk about Maverick and we'll be done." You know, watching Stranger Things, so we'll review Stranger Things. So the instant I get off the air, what happens? Well, uh, I remind, yeah, I reminded you that uh, Stranger Things only shipped half a season. Yeah, and the other half a season isn't coming until July. So we're not even going to watch all of Stranger Things in July, so we're not going to review Stranger Things in July. But... That's not even the worst thing. What is the worst thing? That's not even the worst thing about it. No. The internet at my place goes out for seven days. So even if they had shipped the entire show right now 
I couldn't have watched it. I couldn't have seen a single minute of it because I was completely cut off from every streaming thing in the world. I haven't watched a minute of anything I'm supposed to be keeping track of to review for the show just because the internet is gone foo. And that's how hard the universe works to keep me from fulfilling the announcements that I have nonetheless just made. It's crazy. Yet you have not learned your lesson and you continue to announce things. Yeah. I love it. But I I did get to see Maverick, though. So at least that announcement's coming true. I have defied the odds. So we want to talk about that real quick before we let our guests get a word in edgewise. <laughs> what if I take over the show and talk about Maverick instead? Uh, have you, have you seen it? Mute button. I have seen it actually. It's one of the few movies I actually bothered to go see. Yes. Also, John has a mute button. <laughs> it's it's the emergency mute button. Once once you uh, we, we we let you talk, but if you risk taking over, then we have to take drastic measures. <laughs> Highway to the danger zone. Da, da, da. Highway to the danger zone. Got him. Damn it. <laughs> yes. Uh, I saw Top Gun. It was it was great. What did you guys think? Ten out of ten. I Absolutely. really, really liked it, but I'm going to be a contrarian and say nine out of ten. Nine <gasps> out of ten. <laughs> did you did you dock them a point for not playing Danger Zone throughout the whole movie? No, but it was awesome. They started off the movie with it. Yes, yes. they got that right out of the way. <laughs> Spoilers: they they start the movie off with the Top Gun theme, followed by Danger Zone. And they're like, okay, that's out of the way. Let's get to the movie. Yeah, that's all I wanted. I mean, they could have just done that and ended it, and I would have been happy. <laughs> okay. So here's what, – well, what did you think, first off? What's your summary? Oh, my summary is uh, it was two hours of sheer fun entertainment. Uh, yeah, nine, ten out of ten. Uh, it was, uh, if you watched the trailer and um, rolled your eyes as maybe a cash grab or a nostalgia trip, this uh, this is not that. This isn't a my favorite IP reboot. It is an honest to goodness great film. Um, so about the same stuff the first Top Gun was about. So here's the thing. A lot of movies are doing like the sneaky reboot where they bring in all these legacy characters to make you think it's about them. And I'm just thinking of the last Scream movie that I hated. I hated, hated, hated. Um, 
but it's really instead about all these new characters, right? I remember you were really excited about that Ghostbusters movie in 2016, and and you just thought it was fantastic. (laughs) Uh, Unrelated. No, I think you misunderstood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, they set it up like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna see you know Han, Luke, and Leia come back, and no, it's actually about these new characters. Go go on. But. this movie is not about some brand new characters who come into the movie with, you know, Maverick's just kind of there. This movie is all about Maverick. It's Maverick's movie. I was um, shocked by that because, honestly, whenever they title something Star Wars Obi-Wan or Hawkeye or Moon Knight, you know the hero is not going to be obi-wan hawkeye or moon knight it's going to be some random female lead and then at the very beginning of this like after after like the stunts at the beginning when they show up kind of like at that bar there i saw them start to go to the female pilot and i was bracing myself and i was Mm -hmm. like this this is where it shifts this is the bait and switch but no but no continue daddy warpig so uh, it's not about nostalgia. They have links to the previous movie because that's his past, but it's not in a nostalgic bait way. Like his his love interest in this movie is Jennifer Connelly. Her name's Penny. Um, and one of the things I didn't catch a mention of in the movie, but in the original Top Gun, um. Tom Cruise got in trouble, or Maverick got in trouble, because he was involved with an admiral's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Penny is, and, and you never see her. She never is on screen. She's never really involved in the original Top Gun. But Penny is that admiral's daughter. Oh, I missed that. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, good catch. So... It's uh, it's about Maverick and his past and his present and his long career. And they don't put stuff in there for just like nostalgia. I mean, there's plenty of things that echo the first movie, but it's not, you know, member berries. It's not, oh, that's the thing from the thing. I don't know how to describe it because it is... A sequel to Top Gun, but it's not a sequel in the sense of like The Force Awakens was basically just replaying Star Wars. And this is not a replay of of Top Gun. It is a replay of Star Wars, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) (laughs) It it actually literally is a replay of Star Wars. So yeah, that it's a good movie because they aren't just trying to throw nostalgia at, at throw nostalgia at you, and it's just a fun movie the whole time. Absolutely, uh, the thing that I really was all of the great 
network and effects. They You are cutting out so badly, man. Terrible. And I thought DW's internet was dead. I must be dead. There you are. Um, Am I back? Yes. The th- well, <clears throat> I'll, I'll start again. The thing that I really appreciate was start to finish just fighter pilots doing amazing things. It's just uh, the pacing's wonderful. You get, you know, blood pumping fighter pilot antics linked together by, you know, the you know, the drama and the plot and everything like that. Boom, let's have another great flight scene. Let's set up the next set of flights, and then we'll just do it. And then, you know, like fully half the movie is just this amazing camera work of people actually flying these fighter jets. It's it's not only um, it's not only a good movie and a good story, but it's also a love letter to, you know, that you know, Maverick's generation of fighter pilots, uh, the real, you know, the aces. Yeah, and the military charged them big money to rent those jets and do that, but I think it was uh, $10,000 an hour or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, and they actually filmed it uh, in beautiful uh, California, Northern California, kind of kind of over where I'm at. So, Did you have Fun to deal fact. with sonic booms for months while they were taping? No, I, it's it's more north of here, kind of not where the population is, you know, because there's that forest area, and and all that, that that they were showing, you know, it's they kind of did it over a uh, non-populated area, but yeah. No, I, actually, I don't know. Well, you now you casually know. refer to terrain in in California that no, I have no <laughs> idea what's there. I. I Honestly, I'm I'm a you know I'm a political person. So as far as I'm concerned, California starts with San Diego, continues with L.A. and San Francisco, and then every everything north of that is like farmland. It's uh, beautiful. Yeah. Here be dragons. <clears throat> the farmland is actually kind of in the the east, and all those are on the coast. North is like these giant redwood forests, and it's just, it's just like a beautiful nature preserve, basically. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of other things. I've heard there's these things called the Sierras and, and something called Imperial Valley. and uh, Lake Tahoe, don't forget that. Yeah, the Sultan Sea. But, you know, they filmed The I'm Godfather at Lake Tahoe. Godfather 2, yeah. sorry. As far as I'm concerned, they just made that up to fool people into thinking there's something else outside of L.A. So, <laughs> But that that's what impressed me the most was like, I am so sick of watching CGI fight scenes where these guys all do superhuman stunts, which are completely impossible and just uh, just like, you know, it throws you out of the movie because you you see like you see them turn into a CGI doing a weird backflip off of a crane, you know, dangling off of a building suddenly. And it's like, you know, that that wouldn't be able to be humanly possible. The guy would have died just in the fall from the crane. He wouldn't be hanging from the building right now. His neck would have snapped in the air. Um, but in this, like, they did just, like, really use real jets. And so you're watching uh, some nice real filming, and it's beautiful, and it's entertaining. And you, you the, the I guess the lesson Hollywood's not going to learn from this is you don't need to overdo effects and just throw as much crap in front of the screen as possible to try to distract people from the fact that there's oh. no plot. You just got to have a plot. That's uh, That's it. 
Yeah. The shots. <laughs> the shots were so clean and clear. They had like at most like three or four jets in any one shot and there's no particle effects obscuring everything and it's just so beautiful. You could track what was going on and when they didn't want you to know what was going on it's because the characters in the scene didn't know what's going on you know because they lost track of maverick and he was about to pop up and do bad things it was hilarious i just i, I loved it i treasured that it was just so beautiful and sparse so completely unlike the you know, Revenge of the Clones or, uh, or excuse me, Revenge of the Sith uh, opening battle scene. That was so awful. Yeah, I, I think I want to I want to put what you two said together about plot and and what you learn on the screen is what the characters learn because what makes all those flight scenes so interesting and engaging is that they use the connective tissue of those scenes between for information dumps. And so you get, not only is there an advancement in the plot and the drama, but you also understand the scenario and the stakes of each flight so that when the flight happens, there's there's plenty of people, you know, characters exclaiming, you know, this is what's happening on screen right now. But it's very little because as you're watching it, you understand everything that's going on because they've already set it up for you and they've repeated it several times. So you just you're like, okay, I'm ready for the next, you know, what what what's the next thing that's going to happen? Uh, and and you watch it and you understand even with all these like tight cockpit shots and quick cuts and you know supersonic uh, fighter jets and, and everything. Um, I can't say enough good about it. It's so well put together. Well, yeah, and and you know, a lot of these are are literal training flights. And how do you make training flights have um, uh, stakes? How do you make training flights have yeah stakes have weight? And they managed to do that, and it was absolutely. Uh, everything in this movie was so well done with the story um and the cinematography just knocked my socks off when he was the very first thing maverick does and this is not a spoiler because this is literally after all the stuff right at the beginning where they're playing credits and highway to the danger zone and stuff the very first thing maverick does is take a plane out for um an experimental plane he takes it out for a test flight and what he does is um is uh he's flying along high in the altitude at you know almost hypersonic speeds and the sound and the cinematography and everything that's going on is just so peaceful. It's just so beautiful. And it's almost, 
you know, it, it, it evokes this sense of awe of, you know, reverence is the word. Um, and it's so beautiful. It's just such a beautiful moment. The people who made this movie know what human emotions are and can evoke them in the movie. They're not just throwing scenes and stuff at the screen that they've seen other people do, but they don't really understand. They are, uh, it's just amazing. Um, and I am so, so as soon as that happened, I knew the people making the movie knew how to make a movie. And they weren't just you know blindly copying checking off boxes yeah absolute absolutely fantastic i do have one problem with the whole deal though hmm? and they kept they kept alluding kind of to it like you know this is going to be kind of the last hurrah for fighter pilots like you know because of uh because of drones and all that i really didn't buy that they couldn't have just sent a drone over to just do that. I mean, in reality, yeah. they, that's that's what they would have done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> drone bomb, tactical nuke, done. You know. <laughs> well, now now you've ruined it for me. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Still, I honest. Well, yeah, you got to remember that. Drones have to be electronically controlled. If we're talking about drones instead of cruise missiles, those are two different things. Drones are remotely piloted. Cruise missiles are programmed to follow an onboard computer who runs the thing. So are you really talking about drones or are you talking about cruise missiles? I, either way, I don't, you know, I don't know the specifics of which would be chosen for a mission like that. I'm not savvy to that but it, i think either way would be their first attempt before trying to send a manned piloting mission into that that doesn't you know either way those seem like strictly better options right uh yeah i think you just have to sort of you have to buy into that it sounds like you didn't but you have to buy into that you have to accept okay this is a mission that you know Put bluntly, only Maverick can do. Yeah, and I, I get that was kind of the the vibe of the movie, which is which is fine. I, I that is, I I did not buy that just based on kind of what I know our technological capabilities are. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's okay. Didn't ruin the movie for you, did it? Didn't ruin didn't ruin it for me. Still ten out of ten. Don't care. Yeah. Um, and that's why realism is stupid, my friends. And you should never strive for realism in your stories. <laughs> I will say this because this is my uh, this is my theory on stories. Um, a story gets its premise for free. <clears throat> so whatever the premise is, if you can't hang with the premise, um, then that story obviously isn't for you. You just have to either accept the premise or, you know, walk away. 
Like some people can't hang with the premise of the core because it's so unrealistic. And I'm like, that's cool. I completely understand why you can't hang with the premise of the core. I can accept the premise of the core within the movie while knowing the science is ridiculous. Um, so uh, that's like the entrance fee or the cover fee for walking into a movie is this is how much you have to suspend your disbelief to enjoy this story. And then what you get to do after that is say, okay, giving them their premise, which is for free, you know, do they do a good job carrying that out? Because they don't get everything for free. Do they do a good job carrying that out or do they screw it up? You know, Star Wars's premise is in galaxy far, far away, uh, a long, long time ago, there were space wizards and high tech. That's their premise. Did they do a good job of carrying that out? And I think in the movie Star Wars, yes, they did a great job carrying out that premise. And it carried through the whole movie. Um, other things that have bore that brand name have not done a good job with that. So they screwed up the premise. You killed it. Killed it. Yeah. I just had to let that float there. <laughs> Did I get cut uh, off? Uh, there's just no. nothing. Nothing. I'll, I'll let I'll let Ardenon have the last word. Verse for the win. That's right. So, let's talk about other stuff. Because uh, you can only say 10 out of 10 so many times. By the way, go see Top Gun Maverick if you haven't. That's the difficult yes. thing, isn't it? When something's so good, you actually can't talk about it as much as when something's so bad. Because you get into the nitpicky details when it's bad, like to justify why it's bad. But when it's good, you're just like, it's good. That's it. Yep. <laughs> that's that's the show. You know? <laughs> Oh, hey, Jennifer Connelly is in it, and she's generally a really great actress in everything I've seen her in. And you know what? She does a great job in this movie. She did. I loved her. I mean, seriously, what else do you say about that? Oh, and Tom Cruise is in this movie, and he does generally a good job with all the roles I've seen him in. And oh, he's, literally, he's literally made one bad movie in his whole career. What movie Only was that? One. Uh, do you want to remember it, or do you want to just be, you want to bathe in your uh, forgetfulness? No, I want to remember. Uh, the Mummy. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot that. He... Yeah, okay. Okay. And, Only and Tom Cruise is also good in this. And the, the cinematography, good. Sound effects, good. I mean, Kid who was yeah, rooster was really good too, and he 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 looked yeah. like uh, he looked like goose, like almost exact. Miles Teller, uh, who is the actor who's done a lot of stuff, um, he did a good job. I mean, what I can start just listing all the elements of the movie and saying this is good, this is good, this is good. Um, they have a guy uh, who I have seen before, but he's never been a major role. He's called Hangman. Um, 
he's kind of like the Iceman of this movie, sort of. Um, like he's the rival of Goose, Goose's son, who's called Rooster. Um, and he does a great job at being this raging butthead. Love it. Yeah, hate him. And you he's love so him. good at it. Yeah. What, one thing that uh, that's interesting about sequels in, in general that does kind of uh, play sour for the original movies that uh, that I know you gentlemen are going to uh, overlook because uh, you don't care about such uh, such uh, such things, but uh, the romance aspect of the storylines, which which was really well done in Maverick, also, but it was also really well done in the original movie. Um, the original movie like implies happily ever after and when there is a little sour note that you get that the happily ever after like just evaporated after that movie. And, and now he's, now he's on to this chick that it, that is a thing, you know, I like happily ever after they did that with star Wars too. They ruined it. Like when, when like in the new ones, when Han Solo's like, Oh, he, he didn't just stick with princess Leia. He just went off. Oh yeah. I was a little disappointed. You know? You know, and, and and when you get that, so they try to create conflict between characters because they don't know how to write characters with stable families uh, in Hollywood because they have none in Hollywood. It, it does, it, it, honestly, it does. It, that's that is a sour point for me in general, and I, I I was a little soured on that. I actually looked it up to find out why that uh, that gal was not in this movie and they weren't like together. Uh, and I get it, you know, Maverick's got the care, you know, he's he's the fly boy doing, you know, whatever. But uh, I looked it up and she's like, yeah, I didn't even get asked to come back. <laughs> she's like, I don't. She's like, I'm like a 65 year old woman. I'm kind of fat and I don't I look like a 65 year old woman. That doesn't play for Hollywood. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, right, well, yeah. that's true. <laughs> very, very yeah. shrewd. But I'm, I'm just reinforcing your point. I can start listing all the elements of the show. Um and just saying, well, this is good. This is uh, great. This yeah. is good. This and and all I would be doing is just pointing out separate things. I will say this: they had uh, to do the show. They had uh, cameras put in the back seat of a two seater F eighteen, um, and every time you see the pilots getting filmed, obviously Tom Cruise and these other young kids are not really flying the planes themselves uh on screen but they're in the back seat and it's staged to look like they're flying the planes and what they're actually doing is they're operating the cameras while at the same time they're acting so they had to learn and practice cinematography how to frame the shots how to pan how to focus in and focus out they had to learn to do a cameraman's job in order to shoot their interior scenes. That's neat. For any time it had shown up in the movie. And that's something that actors just normally don't have to deal with. So the fact that every one of those, you know, secondary characters plus Tom Cruise himself had to learn how to, to run that is, is actually pretty impressive. And it took, uh, I think six months of, of training to get it where they could churn out footage that uh, that was good enough for a movie. Um, and so that's not just good. 
in terms of yeah, it's a gr- great movie and everything they did was good. It that that's actually, you know, really impressive. Yeah, it is. Yeah, everything about it was impressive all the way around. So, how's it doing? Is it uh, is it crushing it dollars wise? I'm pretty sure it's a big hit. Yeah, it's made massive amounts of money. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but Top Gun uh, box office. Let's see. Let's see, where we're at three hundred and fifty-seven million and seven hundred million globally. So it's still not doing my Marvel brand numbers, which is that's disappointing, honestly. It is. Maybe they were hoping on nostalgia to drive sales, ticket sales. I don't know. But, hey, it's a a genuine great movie, uh, which they don't come out often, so. I mean, 700 million is nothing to snuff at. I mean, that is a, uh, that, that's, that's, I'm sure they made money off that, like, pretty well. But, that's also, uh. I mean, those stupid, like the stupid Doctor Strange movie, which is terrible, I think did a billion, right? <laughs> so, man. Disappointing. I believe it. Am I right? Let me look at the Doctor Strange box office totals. Doctor Strange multiverse box office. Okay. Uh... 800 million globally. When was this? So it's a, it's actually on par. It's close. So, okay. On on par with a bad with a bad Marvel movie. Okay, on maybe. par with a bad Marvel movie. Yeah. All right. That I don't is, I don't think Doctor Strange is a failure. I think Doctor Strange actually did very well. I, I people people are sort of hungry for movie going. Uh, in fact, the, the Top Gun begins with Tom Cruise, you know, like personally thanking everyone for coming out and watching his movie, which I liked. All right. So I'm, I'm lo- I've got a list now of the top grossing films for, for superhero movies. And it looks like actually kind of the middle of the pack standard of them is that 800 million mark. So this might hit that because it's still in theaters, right? Mm-hmm. So it's at 740 something. So it, it could very well get into this range. Um, so if you're looking at, uh, like Thor Ragnarok and, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, like those are all in the 800 million range. Oh, Dr. Strange now is hit 900 million. So, uh, okay. So it's, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of lame. Now, uh, I don't think anything pre post, I don't think anything post pandemic has hit a billion other than Spider-Man far from home. That's what it looks like. That's the or oh far from home is not post pandemic is it? No, no. So nothing post pandemic has hit, uh, f- has hit a billion. Doctor Strange is actually the closest. Interesting. Says the top grossing post pandemic movie. I don't know how to interpret that, but it's probably not good. Huh. I don't know either. All right. Do we want to go to science fiction? I love science fiction, friends. <laughs> so here there's a science fiction comic 
Oscars something or other. Speaking of top grossing. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, let's should we introduce our guest who's been hanging out with us for 35 Is anybody here who doesn't know? They all know John me. Delarose. It's okay. They probably already knows. backed it too. So, <laughs> we can well, go home now. We don't know if it's going to end up Good show, we don't good know show. If he's going to end up uh, listening to this. So, uh, we should we should just give a, a short introduction at least. Uh, John DeLaRose, the leading Hispanic voice in science fiction. Someone called you that, and it stuck, I think. Oh, it's uh, amazing. Uh, you write... I, uh, I actually call myself that as a joke first. Um, I don't remember where I saw the joke, because I saw some alphabet person making some you know title like that. And so I just then labeled myself that snarkily as a joke. And then PJ Media, uh, Megan Fox, a wonderful reporter, picked it up and actually put it in the article. And then it just kind of spiraled from there. Uh, it ended up upset a lot of people. Um, but yes. <laughs> it's, it's a great point. Like, how do you how do you get that title? Well, I mean, I guess sometimes you just give it to yourself. Let's go. Yes. Um, but yeah, a avid writer of all sorts of science fiction. You do novels, short stories, and... Uh, most recently in the past few years, uh, you've been knocking out comics all the time. Yeah, I love comics. pages I read I know. somebody on Twitter say. I know. Again, like, you know, I have to, like, highlight this stuff because, like, uh, I can't get it talked about for some reason. And I find that odd because, uh, you know, I, I always see lots of, there's lots of, there, there's the multiple complaint thing I see on Twitter that I see all the time. Uh, you know, we, we often highlight in our circles and, and my good friend, Brian Niemeyer does this also, you know, the, why aren't there any conservatives in culture? You know, uh, the, those tweets, uh, and we highlight those. And every time a blue check mark tweets, one of those from the daily wire or Breitbart or whatever, uh, we all come in, we pile on <laughs> as a team, uh, around these parts. It's great. And, uh, and then if they never, they never reply, never. Uh, not once do they end up promoting us. Not once do they end up writing articles about us. Uh, it, it is just like, I, I feel like they just write those tweets just to get engagement. And a lot of people do just write tweets to get engagement. Um, and it's just like, it's, it's maddening. But in the comic circles, especially in the indie spheres, I always see the, we're going to need to come out with comics faster than this if we're going to compete with Marvel and DC. Why is nobody doing that? And I just sit here every time, like, why aren't you buying mine? Because I've been doing that since 2018. I, so, like, it, I, at this point, I've slowed down a little bit. And the reason I've slowed down is because it actually behooves me to stay on a book for two or three months to sell that one book and over and over and over again, just because repetitiveness does work for advertising. Um, but I was absolutely coming out with monthly comic books. And Overmind is the equivalent of three comic books worth of content. It's like a full graphic novel. So this is, again, three, three comic books worth of, of, of stuff. So I, I've come out with 43 comic books, including Overmind, since 2018. So if you do that, I've, you know, it's been about three and a half years. And that's almost a monthly comic. And I think I'm the only person outside of um, you know, Dark Horse comics or in image comics, like that's in an independent sphere that's actually done that. 
And it, it does, it drives me crazy that like, I see that question over and over again. And yet these people don't actually support the one that's actually doing it. And nobody, and nobody mentions it. Comic magazines don't mention it. On, on Bleeding Cool will never mention it. Comic book resources will never mention it. Bounding into comics will mention it. Uh, that's the only one. <laughs> but it, it's it's just crazy out there to to watch this. Like I, I've done it, and uh, it's really it's really interesting. It shows me that the credit in the industry is is really just given to insiders, and they really discount outsiders a hundred percent. And it, it, you know, it's frustrating. Now, that being said, uh, we built something pretty good. And this is like my third most successful crowdfund ever. I don't mean to be negative. Uh, it's growing. We're winning. We are getting a lot of backers. And I think that's a testament to the product uh, that it can withstand that. And, it, and we can achieve growth without that media assistance and without the general comic public even knowing that this exists. So, cool. That's great news. If I could, if I could bother to make a guess, uh, it sounds like you are in the position of having to do your growth the old-fashioned way. You are slowly building up your brand. It's going to take years. People are going to see years. The great work that you do when uh, you know when when we have or had a mature publishing industry. If you got in with the right people, you could be catapulted. You could be like, you could be the next John Scalzi or or whatever. Just get your stuff thrown out in front of a bunch of people, and and enough of it'll stick that you could make a living. Uh, but if you look at that. those people, even those people, like if you look at like their trajectory, and and everybody, you know, I I always see this, and and look, I I get frustrated by it too because I'm like, you know, Overmind is clearly a cut above most of the indie stuff out there, like if not like 90, 95% of, of it out there. But yet at the same time, I see a lot of, I see a lot of schlock get there uh, because of name brands and whatever. But you got to remember that like the name brands, the names that you recognize that are making 50, a hundred K on these books, those guys have been in the industry like 20, 30 years. I've been in it four, right? So hmm. that, as, as and I, I'm an impatient guy, and of course, like all of us are impatient at this point, right? Because uh, our our societal model at our age, uh, we have way less of attention span, and of course, the next generation after us has even less of an attention span. So, instant gratification is the norm. We have Amazon Prime to deliver whatever we want. We can stream whatever movie we want. We can get whatever we want instantly, um, and like actually trying to build a career, like going door to door proverbially selling book to book is uh is something that like is is definitely out of the nature of what we're used to it's interesting i didn't mean to talk about this today i'm just uh you mean you can stream whatever you want (laughs) uh daddy warpig cannot stream whatever he wants (laughs) because he's had no internet for seven days (laughs) the poor soul (laughs) (laughs) what's that like Hey, I, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's one of the things that's sort of, uh, and and if you really, really want to go deep into sort of the problems or challenges of our current society and the way we consume things, uh, it's, it's that scale that you're at where you've got 
the ability to get all these things that you want and what it serves to do is break us apart. Yes. Uh, we're, 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 we're becoming atomized or we've become atomized. Uh, it's very easy to spend your whole life, you know, in indoors or in your house, interacting with three or four people. Uh, and, and that's it. I, I think, uh, in terms of creators, um, specifically writers of books and comic creators. This is a problem, uh, and I'm not criticizing indies for this. I'm criticizing the mainstream, you know, big five publishers and Marvel and DC. Every crappy book published hurts the market for every other book published. Because yes, people read and... it. People ahead, read sorry. it, it's trash, and they're loath to spend money on the next thing. And you're training them to not get your, uh, to not buy books as a medium at all. And they can always find something else, um, movies or video games or whatever. Um and, and it's then, easier. Course, those, yes. And it's easier. <laughs> and those mediums are also putting out crap now, too. So they're even driving audiences away from that. Um, and the problem is, is so many people have stopped reading uh, that it's not just a matter of getting your audience or earning your audience from a large pool of enthusiastic readers, which was the difficulty back in, say, the 20s and 30s, so 100 years ago, where virtually everybody in society, you know, read, and they all bought magazines on a weekly basis. And, uh, or in the 50s, when literally copies of, ma of comic books would sell in the millions on a monthly basis, hmm. millions of copies of a Superman, Superman comic on the monthly basis. It's no longer a problem of getting a slice of a massive, massive uh, amount of readers. It's now a problem of getting 40,000 people, which is all the users, all the readers are, um, I just saw an article yesterday where, uh, no, I was listening to a video yesterday by a YouTuber who said that the readership base for comics on Kickstarter, which this is not a slag on Kickstarter. This is actually much higher than any other platform, much higher than Indiegogo, much higher than any other indie platform is between three and 6,000 people. So that's who you've got to sell to right now. Um, so if you're getting a substantial percentage of those three to 6,000 people, either from the people who use Kickstarter or people coming with you from Twitter or you know your Patreon or whatever else you've set up and uh, managed to draw an audience to, you are doing well 
you are succeeding incredibly well. Um, I believe I saw you have almost 1,500 people in Overmind. Uh, no, uh, 250. So a lot less than that. <laughs> oh, um, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> I would love to have 1,500 people. If we had 1,500 people, I think uh, this this would be a, a real crazy, crazy cooking business. Um, 250 is doing great, though. Um, at this yeah, juncture, like, is- yeah. And we're, we're only 20 days into the campaign. So, like, my, my biggest ever was Flying Sparks Volume 1, which there were extenuating circumstances behind that back in 2017, kind of with online movements going crazy. Um, and, and, uh, so I count that as an outlier. I got, I got 800 and I think 20 backers on that. Um, and then Deus Volt did very well with, um, I think it was like 500 backers or so. And, uh, but those, those were much higher than normal. Deus Volt showed that we were, we're on our way up. Uh, uh, what's it, what's it called? Um, a high school girl in the crusades did 420 backers as a parody of Dave's vault, which is amazing by itself. Now, Indiegogo also did, looks different backers than uh, Overmind. While I had 420 backers on Indiegogo, I actually only had 280 unique backers because Indiegogo lets you back twice and three times and four times, depending, you know, buying those a la carte products. Kickstarter does not inflate those numbers because you don't, uh, you, everything you buy is under one backing, no matter what it is. So uh, we're actually, if a high school girl in the Crusades did 280 backers and we're uh, still got 40 days left of this and we're at 250, uh, you know, this is, this is shaping up to be much bigger, right? Um, and so we are growing. We're not growing at astronomical rates, but we are growing at like a good clip. And that's so, where we're at. Yeah. So the difficulty that indies face is that you are having to reach people who've gotten out of the habit of buying comps. Um, and I have to do it a different way too. So this is where it's a, a real difficulty is my, my backers were on Indiegogo and I, they've gotten in the habit of buying things on Indiegogo. I not only have to convince them to buy this comic in general, which is which is a different genre, a new property, right? Even though it's me, it's different. Uh, I have to have convince them to do it on a different platform. And the fact that we're we're actually yeah. seeing growth while moving platforms. And if you guys don't know, Indiegogo banned me uh, about three months ago, so um, I cannot I cannot be on there. Uh, the fact that we're growing despite that challenge is actually really amazing. So, yeah, it's, I just, uh, there was some discussion uh, in the Pulp Rev group about, um, well, it was a bit of nostalgia looking back towards uh, the days of Jeff Rose, um editorial ship in Castalia house. Oh, those were the days, my friend. Yeah. People were talking about how fun that was, you know, and I was knocking out a column a week, uh, taking on people and, and writing fun stuff and, and everybody else was putting out stuff. Uh, and it was great. I mean, it was fun. I will not lie. Those were great days, but I wanted to point out that that was not the high watermark 
of the pulp revolution. The problem is that that was what set us up. That was what, um, that is what we built our confidence on. Correct. That was our debut, right? That was our coming out ball. And I'm using that in the Southern sense, not in the... (laughs) Not in the Pride (laughs) Month sense. Not in the Pride (laughs) Month sense, right. Um, We came out, we staked our territory, we put our movement on a solid historical and cultural ground. We announced ourselves, we got notice, and a lot of people... um, got upset and a lot of people started to come in and and even if they don't write pulp inspired work fully they they started reading pulp more and started getting influenced by it um yes so it's grown like crazy like just the amount of authors the amount of people interested in these circles uh i've seen a lot and it it's really good and even though we don't have that kind of centralized point anymore, uh, where where we're really having that kind of discussion, um, you know, and I think there's been a couple other issues that have happened that, that are not uh, due to people or the movement being an issue or anything like that. But I mean, Twitter's algorithms change now to where they're showing top tweets and not live tweets, so you can't even interact with people like you used to be able to. Uh, Facebook is such a train wreck; like it doesn't even show posts to anybody. I don't think. Uh, like Amazon now doesn't have the also bots that they're kind of cross promoting people with, uh, you have to pay to play on there now. So all these platforms have just locked themselves down to a point where it's really difficult to get discovered. And because of that, it's kind of, it's kind of made people kind of into their own silos and isolated people a little bit more. We talked about that with the pandemic, uh, which didn't help either on that level, but, uh, it, it made it look like that, but there's a lot of us out there. It's huge, and we it, it's it's really on the precipice of just blowing up. I got I got to reiterate my, that. My point is that that wasn't the high mark of the pulp revolution because that's when we earned our intellectual and uh, artistic legitimacy, mm. uh, our cultural literacy, legitimacy. That's when we laid claim to a vast swath of territory. What you have to do after that, uh, that's when we made a lot of claims, that's when we made a lot of boasts, that's when we faced a lot of people down, which is fine. We absolutely needed to do that. That's what gave us the courage and the motivation to take the next step, which is doing the work. That Mm. is where we're at now. It's the earning our bones, right? It's the making our bones stage. It's the... uh, Burning our stripes stage, right? That was the it lesson is. I took from from Jeffro and all those columns. If you look at all the pulp stuff from the 40s and the 50s, I mean, those guys were just cranking out stories, cranking. And I, we're not talking a book a year. We're not talking, you know, you know, uh, just just try to do a trilogy or whatever. I mean, you know, and and that's the lesson I took from it was the object of this is to really get out as much story as physically humanly possible. And that's, that's why I'm at a thousand comic pages. That's why I'm at 17 novels, uh, over these years. Uh, I really just sat there and that was the lesson I took from it. Look, I, 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 I've got a, uh, 
I, I, I've got a bombastic personality on Twitter and uh, through my YouTube videos and things like that. But the I, I am sitting behind the scenes really just cranking this stuff out and working my tail off. And that's what uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs did. That's what, uh, that's what Robert E. Howard did. That's what, uh, you know, pretty much all these guys did. And that's, this that's is, what we should be doing. Yep. Yeah. This is not a low point. Um, Roll, Yakov, um, Kursova, all the authors who get published in Kursova. These are not people who are at a low point. These are people no, not at who all. are working hard. And, uh, all the other pulp rev authors, these are people, and me not mentioning you is not meant to be a slight. I have to, you know, I'm trying to condense. No, it's how, it, no, I, I got you. You're good. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are building the basis of future success, and it is not flashy. It is not as fun. It is not as snarky. There's no, you know, Daddy Warpig marking people on the internet to get entertained by like that. Um, but it is so necessary, um, and it is exactly what we needed to do after we marked our territory. And yes. it is, I'm going to say this, and I hope this doesn't sound condescending, because this is absolutely not mess, meant to be. I am so damn proud of everyone in the Pulp Revolution who has been uh so hardworking and keeps on turning out books and has not been discouraged because they haven't reached a level of prominence or success that they you know deserve or feel like they deserve who has not been um you know who has not been helped by these uh, other bigger conservative voices, you guys are doing exactly what you need to do to see success further down the line. And I, I agree with your conclusion, uh, John, when you said that, um, you know, it's it's beginning or getting close to breaking bit. It's getting close. When, yeah, I said that, you know, five years ago in my columns and in comments on Twitter and stuff that sooner or later this would break out. And I didn't know when, and I didn't know who it would be, but it will happen if we kept on working at it. And we have kept on working at it. We are honing our skills, developing our talents. And as long as you keep on doing that, you are prepping yourself. You are putting yourself in the right position for when good things and lucky things happen to you, that you are ready to take advantage of it. You are doing everything now to lay the groundwork for opportunities to happen to you. So yes, this is not the fun that you would expect it it's a grind pulp it's is a grind. a grind it's always been a grind uh and that's uh that that you gotta you gotta love grinding uh that's 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 uh i guess that's the main lesson of how to do it and uh you know i i came out with a little maybe a bit of a negative tone on this i didn't mean to like because again this is this is by far the most successful launch we've had 
this is by far uh, getting the most buzz out of anything we've had. Uh, this is this is all going really well, and uh, I'm trying to use my platform uh, to, of course, help people. I brought on um, I brought on Jacob, who's who's launching his quarterly Substack thing uh, earlier this week. You guys are bringing on Jim Brayfogle, which is great. I backed that uh, earlier this week. Also, I just got Thune's Vision in the mail. Uh, all the yes. all the good stuff. Oh man, I just started reading it last night, John. I'm, I, I oh oh okay, <laughs> sorry. So <laughs> um, there, great things are happening, and uh, I'm sorry I didn't talk the project, but like it is interesting to see how it is. Just a, it's a snowball. It's 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 really not like a zero like the zero to a thousand backers or whatever is an outlier and if you see that like that doesn't happen and that's not what you can expect to happen but uh what we'll see here is uh we're gonna see by the end of this we're gonna see a growth here uh that that is sending waves i mean i see people it's been interesting it's been quiet the last few years uh back in 2017 2018 the Scalzies, the the Marvel pros, they they used to throw fits at me, and then they got really quiet for a few years. And what that told me when they were quiet was they thought that the strategy is going to be like we'll just devoid, we'll give the these guys no airtime, and that's going to starve them of oxygen. And that's but now they're opening their mouths again, and to me that's saying okay, they're becoming a big enough of a threat now that we better say something and try to try to cancel them to put a stop to it that that's a really good sign a really good sign uh and i think that like we are again we're just around the corner from something so huge uh and this is going to be the start of it i i'm going to try to push more science fiction and fantasy out in comics uh i, I mentioned that before with Davis volt when, last time I, we were on here like you know i think you know i like my superhero stuff and i'm working on it too um but I think we need to like really holistically look at what comics was in America the last 50 years and be like, whoa, uh, I'm reading a June 1962 omnibus right now. I'll, I'll actually hold it up there. Here it is. This is uh, June 1962 Marvel. Every book in June 1962 right here. And it's got westerns. It's got horror. It's got science fiction. It's got romance. Uh, it's got everything. It's got like three super, there's only three superhero books in here. And this is telling me that the comic industry at this point, when the pulps were still a thing, healthily had different genres going on and not just superheroes. And so that's what we're, that's what I'm trying to focus on now is bringing up properties that are non-superhero to, to be on, side by side with my superheroes, just like June 1962. And that way, we can get a healthy comic industry and genre again uh, in order to really bring it back and regress back to this point. This is the point we need to regress to, not 1994. Regress harder, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <sighs> yeah. So, I just... I get the feeling that, that some people have been feeling down. Um or frustrated or um it goes in waves yeah yeah i just i think that you should know that you are doing exactly what you need to do that you are doing the hard work of building towards success um and it is admirable 
and it is amazing to see and you are doing exactly what you needed to after i mean if we had stayed in that fun zone of mocking people of picking fights with other um other science fiction and fantasy groups of publicly you know mocking the hard buds or uh getting in fights with the woke that things that would have showed that we were not serious about being successful as writers that we were not serious at promoting the pulp literature and at, at promoting um reading but that's not we did what we did we went into working hard and actually building the craft and actually writing and actually publishing you you don't know how big that is i mean if i can insult some peeps here look at what comics gate became ah those are my friends daddy warpig don't do this it's a poop show they broke apart into dozens of different little factions and they're all in fighting and they're all throwing dirt at each other and there are people publishing. I'm not saying they're not, but they're just, it's a mess. I'm not even involved, but just being on the periphery is chaotic and there's grudges and there's people trying to tear each other down and there is reports, there falsely reporting each other's crowdfunding and uh oh yeah i am i am the victim of that that's true it's it's just awful but the pulp rev pivoted from marking its territory establishing intellectual credibility establishing cultural credibility establishing artistic credibility from defining and defending because you got to remember before we came along the pulps were looked at as the crappiest of the crap as the cheapest of the cheap as as stuff that's not even worth worth thinking about as as science fiction or fantasy as as forgotten stuff everything that people had thrown away and we went back and made it respectable. And we went back and hauled it out and threw it around and made people want to read it again and are still making readers to this day. We have still have people coming to us on Twitter and other places who start reading pulp stories or Amber or whatever because we boost for these books because we say how awesome they are and how much fun they are we don't go around you know just crapping on everybody else's stuff we push good stuff and as soon as we got that period of saying yes pulps are great and you should read them and establishing credibility on that and making sure we set out clear markers to bring the pulps back into respectability, 
to bring these authors back into readability, what we immediately pivoted to was hard work. And I don't know that anybody, I've thought about this for a long time. I guess I haven't said anything about it um, because I haven't heard anybody else talking about it. Maybe I should have said something earlier. It's been four years. I should probably have said something in the last four years. But it's been very important to me to notice. It's been very important to me as I've worked with the Pulp Red. We pivoted to the hard work of writing, of criticizing, of working on covers, of hiring editors, of advertising, and of getting published. And along the way, we've been taking lumps. Along the way, we've been disappointed that people aren't reading it in, in big numbers or as big numbers as we think we should. Along the way, we've maybe been losing money on this, but we kept it up anyway. And I'm telling you that those four years have not been wasted because all of that work is learning the skills that you will need when things become successful. You will need to continue doing all of the things that you've been learning how to do these last four years. And maybe you still need to hone your skills more. Maybe you still need to develop your talents more. You know, maybe you need to get better at writing. I'm not saying that people get better at writing all the time. You go back and read their first books compared to their latest books, and then you go read them in 10 years, and you see there's a, a lot of uh, improvement for every writer. But doing this work is what sets you up for success. So, I'm sorry if I haven't said anything in the last four years to let you know um, how impressed I am that people have kept up doing the work, that people have not been out breaking down into factions and tearing each other down, that people help each other out and pass along advice and do their best to ensure that everybody is as well prepared as they can for success. How impressed I am um, just by the level of stick to of hard work, of devotion. Perseverance. Um, perseverance, thank you. That's the word I'm trying to think of. You guys are amazing. And, uh, you know, the cover artists you guys have contacted who have been working on this are amazing people. Um, the artists who work uh, on the comic books we published are, have done amazing work. You guys do not have the budgets that the big five or the big two have. And you've been doing work that shames them. Well, so, it's... Not hard with their aesthetic styles these days, which are 
Oh, I, okay. That's another rant. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so keep on doing what you're doing and don't worry if this feels like a low point. It's not a low point. It is laying the groundwork for success. I keep on repeating that because I really want you to remember it. You're doing exactly what you need to do. Thanks, um, CW. I, I do forget from, that. I definitely do. From the bottom of my heart, I I wish all of you well, and I'm glad I have been here uh, on this journey with you, and I'm glad that I have been able to do, um, to help in my own way, uh, people along the way. So keep it up. Uh, things are going to break, and uh, those of you who have stayed with it are going to be the ones who benefit. That's it. That's it. That's the show. Oh. Well said, man. Sorry. <laughs> so much cool. needed uh, much needed encouragement from you, Daddy Warpig. I yeah, I I love I'm glad the Pulprev guys are here uh to hear that. Thank you for saying that. Um we do need to wrap up soon, so I want to pivot back to the work that John is doing. I'm going to put this Kickstarter oh, back up on God, YouTube. God, I went I went an hour and 10 minutes and I didn't promote my book. My God. <laughs> <laughs> I even, I, I, that's right. It was it was something like 45 minutes ago, 45 minutes ago when I I finished introducing and I didn't even get to the part where and he's come out with a new <laughs> comic book that you can find called Overmind. Um, why don't, why don't we finish things off the right way? Why don't you tell everybody who's listening what it is that you've done now? And, uh, do you feel sorry for yourself? No, this is great. And this is the most exciting, uh, world I've developed so far. So basically I took some elements like, you know, Warhammer 40k, you got the, the, the whole, you know, uh, the, that whole earth empire and all that. And I, I kind of extrapolated that. So we've got our Terran Imperium. And uh, the Terran Imperium uh, has enemies foreign and domestic, and Ayla Rin, our secret agent right here, has been uh, conscribed to, you know, handle the Empire's dirty work. So she she goes out there, if there's rebellions brewing on the fringes of the outer worlds and all that, she takes care of them. And in this one, uh, there's a planet that's seeming to have some problems and is tied in with some piracy that's going on within the Empire. She shows up and finds out that a artificial intelligence has been slowly brainwashing this entire planet to follow it and worship it like a god in a cult-like manner. Uh, if you want to get back to old pulps, ray guns, jetpacks, of course, uh, that whole cult element uh, is is very big in, in pulp stories. You go back to Conan, like almost every single one of them has some weird cult thing going on with it. And uh, this is basically James Bond in space, but a hot redhead with big tits. And so that is what we're trying to do right here. It's a lot of fun, high action adventure. We use the aesthetic of like the 70s uh, French uh, Bands Dessinés comics uh, to be able to make like this sort of like really bright, colorful picture out there, which I love. Uh, I really dislike the muted uh, dark colorings that most comics have these days. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. Now, on top of that, it's our most ambitious artistic project to date. And here's the reason why. I'm also writing a novel with this. So there's 
to get the full story, you get the comic and the novel. The novel has its own story for it. It is on a separate mission that kind of uh, spirals out of this one. And it's going to start building the world. So we're building this giant space opera science fiction universe, uh, not only in comics, but in novels to where we can really hammer into details of just cool things going on in the galaxy, uh, cool character things that we can drill into because there's more space uh, in, in novels than there are in comics, obviously. And uh, yeah, uh, that that story, gosh, I haven't even talked about that. Uh, I've never talked about that story. So we got the AI in, uh, in Overmind, which is obviously a... Uh, allegory for social media and how it's wrecking people's mentalities. This one, uh, she finds out there is a spore on this planet, uh, which is said to be able to grant eternal life. And these people from the planet are working on exporting it. Now, the Empire doesn't want this because if everybody lives forever, uh, you start to have problems with society, uh, which I detail in the book. But on top of that, the spore has problems which it erodes everybody's long-term memory. So they only have short-term memories uh, for the most part. And they can't remember how to even do mundane things like fry an egg without computer assistance. Uh, also, obviously, an allegory for present society. <laughs> lots of action, lots of explosions, and it's a lot of fun. Come check it out today, guys. Again, this is already our most successful launch. It's our third most successful campaign of all time, and we're not even halfway done with it yet. Uh, so we are on our way up. Things are going good. And uh, I appreciate you guys' support. You guys have been awesome. Everybody in the chat, I, I recognize all of you. So I appreciate you being there over the years. And I appreciate John and Daddy Warpig too. John, this is how nice John is. I showed up in Seattle like three, four years ago. And I was like, bro, can I crash with you? I don't have anywhere to crash. And he totally let me. Uh, like like I was some like hobo or whatever. He, he was a very nice guy. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I appreciate didn't, that. Still, didn't even have to register an Airbnb. <laughs> He's like, "That's weird," but okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> like you could have you could have given me twenty four hours notice instead of 10, well. But that's all right. Yeah, I know. My bad. Um, that was a weird situation because I, I I had things set up and they all fell through and yeah. Oh well, that, that was that was a lot of fun hanging out that weekend. I got to say, absolutely. Uh, and uh, that's it. I think. Thanks, Daddy Warpig. Uh, this this is awesome. Uh, I love seeing the the bright colors, like you said. Uh, you mentioned the French comic books, Valerian. That's an influence, right? That's the that's the big influence. Yeah. Big influence. Uh, and I actually ran a poll on Twitter, uh, and I'm very sad about this poll result too. I was like, how many of you have read Valerian? And it was like 85 percent of the people who responded it said no. And I was like, oh, that that hurts me. To my heart, uh, never uh, even yes. heard of it. I hadn't even heard of it until <laughs> we uh, we the movie came out. They made a movie, Valerian, and uh, we did it for the show. And and if we hadn't done the show on it, I never would have learned anything. Isn't about that the interesting? Yeah. yeah, and that's so big in Europe. Like it really goes to show that like how bifurcated everything is. Uh, it's interesting, but uh, uh, they had good a book. Humble bundle, um, like a month ago. Oh, from Cinebook uh, with all, and it didn't just have Valerian. It had awesome comics in it that I, yeah. I I read a lot of those from Cinebook. Uh, that's a really great company. So I uh, I got in on that humble bundle because it was 25 bucks for all of Valerian plus all those other things. And so great deal. I read the first three uh, first three volumes of Valerian now. And uh, isn't that neat? Just great stuff. Just awesome. yeah, you can see why I'm going that direction. Once you read it, once you read that, it's like, 
flip switch. This is what comics should be. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and you've got your, like you mentioned the seventies aesthetic, you, you've got this futuristic setting and science fiction gets a lot of his aesthetics from an old German film called Metropolis. Yes. Sure which I've watched. You've seen that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A really, really cool film. Of course it's, it's like 1924 and it's black and white and uh, it's absolutely fascinating to watch, but it, it doesn't have to be dark. No, you know, that, uh, just like uh, ancient Greece, you know, they painted those columns, right? It wasn't just like white stone everywhere. Uh, you know, it doesn't it, have to be dark and dreary. It, you can it have doesn't have same... to be dark and dreary colors wise, aesthetics wise. And I also uh, view that as the case for plot and character wise. Uh, so while we have a big Terran Imperium, an empire, if you will, those are always painted very negatively in, in, uh, in movies and, and all that these days. Uh, but I have a character, this Ayla character, uh, has zero doubt that the Empire is a good thing, zero doubt that what she's doing is a good thing. Uh, she's just doing her heroic duty. She's working for king and country, and uh, that, that, that kind of patriotism, just being unbridled without, uh, without fear or doubt, I, you never see in characters. And I wanted, that, that's something I wanted to hammer home, because it's okay to like what you're doing and to believe that you're doing right. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> Isn't that weird to say? But it, it yeah. does. It, it is. Weird. Plus, it makes yeah. for a pretty good story. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think uh, I think we should wrap up. John, thanks so much. Uh, it's great to talk to you. As always, I love seeing what you're up to. It's it's good to catch up. Thanks, um, my friends. Every, everybody in the chat's awesome. It's been a lively chat. I, I haven't uh, clicked in on you guys, but uh, everybody everybody's a fan here i hope everybody listening later really enjoyed the conversation uh if you haven't seen top gun yet go see it uh if you have questions or doubts about the future of the pulp rev go re-listen to daddy war pigs pep talk um and go check out override uh thanks again for being here and thanks to daddy war pig for being the best host ever uh, i'm signing off for this week take it away um yeah, I would like to uh, also like to thank our guests for coming on. Um, go ahead and go check out the Overmind Kickstarter and uh, back it. Go check out Mongoose and Meerkat 2. Uh, and hopefully if things roll out correctly, we'll have uh, Jim Brayfogel on next week. Uh, and if not, we'll have something equally awesome. And uh, I want to thank everybody who came and listened live. And uh, especially thank everybody who listened later. Remember, we do this live 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on YouTube.com slash GeekGab. That's YouTube.com slash GeekGab. You can also catch us on the Google Play Store, on SoundCloud.com, and on the Apple iTunes Store. Just do a search for GeekGab. And you can listen to us on the device of your choice or on the web. We are signing out for today, folks. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.